On today's edition of the Press Review, we're going to be talking Arsenal moving supposedly for Leeds United's Rafinha. We're going to be discussing the reports linking us once again with a move for Yuri Tielemans. And we'll be breaking down Mikel Arteta's press conference ahead of the trip to Crystal Palace on Monday night. I'm Martin Tyler and you're listening to Harry Simeon. Hello and welcome back to the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast, part of the 90 Min Football Network. As ever, I'm your host, Harry Simu, and on this edition of the show, the press review, we're going to be talking about some of the latest stories doing the rounds with regards to Arsenal. We're also going to be breaking down Mikel Arteta's pre-Crystal Palace press conference. Lots and lots to get through today. We'll also be taking some of your thoughts and some of your questions come the end of the show. Uh, before we dive into it, though, I want to say a big happy birthday uh, to one of our regular viewers. He's in the live chat with us uh, this afternoon. A big hello to Tebow, uh, who celebrates his birthday today. Hope you're well, mate. Uh, wishing you a happy birthday, many happy returns, and thank you for your continued support of the podcast. It is very much appreciated. Big hello uh, to Harvey, to Peeny Ween, to Henry, to John, uh, to Justin, to uh, Dom, to all of you. Um, brilliant to see you guys uh, in the live chat, as always. Don't forget, if you are watching us live on YouTube or if you're watching this back on playback, please do hit that like button. It really does help. And subscribe to the channel if you're new, because if you help us get towards that 20,000 mark before the end of the season, and we're not a million miles from it, we will be giving away not just one, but two Arsenal shirts come the end of the season. So hopefully we can get there and uh, hopefully we can give away those prizes to two lucky listeners. Uh, big hello to Raheel, uh, to JDF, uh, to Hasanova, I love that, uh, to Matt and to Casper as well. Hope you guys are all good. First of all, we've got to say congratulations to Mikel Arteta, who for the second time this season has been named the Premier League Manager of the Month. Now, this one has really uh, frustrated or boiled some piss is probably a better way of putting it, uh, among the Liverpool fan base because Liverpool were unbeaten. Uh, during the month of March. Arsenal, of course, lost to Liverpool, but Mikel Arteta has been given the manager of the month award. And look, I think it's, you know, people will say, well, he lost to Liverpool. How can he be the manager of the month? But I think in the bigger picture, when you look at the results he's picked up throughout that month, the fact that we were better against Liverpool than we have been in previous times and that they were fancy to beat us by most. In fact, nobody outside of the Arsenal fan base gave us a hope in hell. So, for Arsenal to have lost that match and, and not to have been disgraced, but then to have had a very good month outside of that, I think means that Mikel Arteta was a, a good shout for the manager of the month. I've got to say I was a little bit surprised that he got it, but he got it. So happy days. Uh, it's brilliant to see. And, you know, we've uh, we've spent a lot of this season kind of going to and fro, haven't we, on Mikel Arteta? Is he the right man? Is he not the right man? Um, uh, lots of you in the comments have kind of been very strong on your opinions about Mikel Arteta, and that's fine in the sense of some of you don't want him. Some of you have been really supportive of him. Others have been on the fence. It's okay to have any of those opinions, but I think it's impossible to deny that right now Mikel Arteta is doing good things and is doing a good job. So I'm not saying that you should you know, be a hypocrite and completely bin or forget what your previous view and opinion was because they're opinions and they have some validity always. But what I am saying is now, if you can't enjoy where we are now and you don't think that we're moving in the right direction, sorry, based on what you're seeing now, then you are peddling an agenda. And and I don't think we should be doing that. You know, I, I want us to be united. I want us to be um, strong as a club, not just in terms of the players and the manager, but in terms of the fan base as well. I want people to come to Emirates Stadium and fear coming there, feel intimidated. And we've we've done a much better job over the last few months of doing that. Even throughout this season, I think in general, the atmosphere in and around the ground has been better. I just think we need to, you know, there's still a way to go in terms of some of the online fan base and in terms of convincing them uh, that we are moving in the right direction. So, uh, yeah. Brilliant stuff. Okay, uh, let's get into some of these stories then, because there are uh, a few stories that have been doing the rounds over the last couple of days. Now, I didn't bring you guys any content yesterday, and I have to apologize for that. But for those of you that follow me 
on social media, you'd have seen that I had an absolutely crazy day. I'm paying for it today as well because I feel awful. But uh, yesterday morning, we were at 90 min for the gas tank or the TFP, the, the fans preview, which is our Thursday show. You probably know it as the gas tank. It is on the 90 min YouTube channel. You can check that out now. We looked ahead uh, to the weekend's games. We touched on Arsenal versus Crystal Palace, but we're going to be looking at that one in a little bit more detail on Monday's live show. Um, so, yeah, um, that was that was in the morning. Then I went down to TalkSport 2 and was on the social with Adi Oladipo for a good couple of hours. Really good conversations there, good discussions. Um, and that was obviously, uh, you know, my afternoon. And then in the evening, I had a work Christmas party with the good guys over at 90 Min, and it was great fun. Uh, it was something that we were supposed to do in December. We couldn't do it because of the COVID situation, but we got to do it last night. And I'll tell you what, I am feeling my age today because when you've got kids of, uh, you know, under three years old, it doesn't matter what time you go to bed. It doesn't matter what time you come in. It doesn't matter how many drinks you've had. You will be woken up at seven o'clock in the morning. And that is that. Uh, so I am a little bit worse for wear today. But this is one of two videos that we're going to be bringing you before the day is out. The first one is right here, the press review. And then we're going to be bringing you some reaction to the World Cup draw, which takes place a little bit later on. So looking forward to breaking that down as well. The full preview of Crystal Palace versus Arsenal will be live tomorrow uh, at 11 a.m. So come and join me for that. And that'll be available in podcast format shortly afterwards. Um, but yeah, we're going to focus on the press review today. Then, of course, uh, the uh, the World Cup draw. And we'll be doing that Arsenal preview in full tomorrow. Uh, with us playing on Monday, we've got an extra day uh, to get that in. So I'd rather do a proper job of it than a rushed one, uh, trying to fit it in in between other things. So looking forward to that. OK, let's start with the first story that I want to bring to you guys' attention. And this actually originates from Fabrizio Romano, from what I understand. He has been speaking about Arsenal's reported interest in the Leeds United winger, Rafinha. Now, if you think back to the show that we did a couple of days ago, myself and Mike Stavrou, um, we were talking about potential options, players that we'd like to see come in to the club, players that we felt were realistic targets. And Rafinha was one of my picks. He's quite comfortable playing from either flank, obviously um, is a left-footed player and has done some of his best work for Leeds United from that right flank where he can cut in onto that stronger left foot of his. He's a brilliant player technically, um, but I think with Rafinha, it's bigger than that. And I think this is why, in my mind, he fits into what Arsenal are trying to do here. Now, with Rafinha, you get a lot of technical ability. You get a, a brilliant dribbler of the ball. You get someone who's a fairly competent finisher. We're talking about somebody who scored nine goals in the Premier League this season, provided three assists as well. Um, he's, as I say, he's been a consistent performer for Leeds United throughout the campaign. Joined the club from Stad René uh, back in October 2020. And actually, as I said to Mike on the show the other day, and I did double check this, there were rumours linking Arsenal with a move for Rafinha prior to him arriving at Leeds. Now, Leeds managed to land him for just under £17 million. You'd assume that Arsenal are going to have to pay a lot more to prize him away from Ellen Road at this stage, given what a good account of himself he has sort of, you know, shown everybody in the Premier League. But this is somebody who I believe is attainable. Now, Leeds United have slapped the price tag on Rafinha, apparently, of around about £60-odd million. Pounds. But I think we'll get to the point with Rafinha where he will be pressing for a move. You know, he, he went to Leeds, he joined Marcelo Bielsa, he joined Marcelo Bielsa's project. And whatever you say, I think a lot of the reason he went there was because of the Argentine. Now, with the Argentine having departed, that changes things for Rafinha. Sometimes you can sign for a club under the premise of playing for a manager that you admire, that you like, that you feel is going to get the maximum out of you. And things in football change. How many times have we seen a manager sign a player and then two months later uh, sort of be be sacked? And then they've been in a place where, or the club's been in a place where they've got players that were the right fit for that manager or that were coming to the club on the premise of working under that manager. And now they have a problem with keeping hold of them and keeping them happy because the thing, the, the situation has changed so dramatically. I'm not convinced that Rafinha will look at Leeds now, a side who are probably going to survive, but will have really had to scrape for it this season. I don't think Rafinha will look at that and feel that's my level. 
I think Rafinha has done so well uh, at Leeds United and will feel now that his stock is as high as it probably will ever be and will probably be looking for that move away. So the point I'm trying to make here is that if Rafinha is making all the right noises, if Rafinha is adamant that he wants to leave Leeds United, if Rafinha pushes for this, I think he is attainable for less than the £60 million price tag that is said to have been slapped on him by Leeds United at this moment in time. I'm not saying that you're going to get him on the cheap, but I think that you could really test Leeds United's resolve with some bids of around about 40 maybe £45 million. Pounds. I think that would that would cause Leeds to kind of step back and think about it, even if they don't say it publicly, just because of my expectation that the player himself will probably, and his representatives, will probably be quite big on trying to make that move happen. Um, so let's see. Ray Anderson in the chat says, uh, doesn't he have a clause in his contract, whether they go down or stay up? A lot of people have been saying this, and I don't know this for sure, Ray. Um, because I don't think it's really public knowledge. There have been a few reports uh, sort of claiming that there is a, a clause in his contract that he can leave for around about £20, £25 million if Leeds United are to get relegated. But I've got to be honest, mate, I don't think they will be going down. And so I don't think that will come into play. I think it will, will be a case of the Marcelo Bielsa era has ended at Leeds. They've drawn a line under it. They've brought in a new manager. They're going to move forward. Um, and And I just think that they will want to or they'll need to probably build a team now in Jesse Marsh's image as opposed to Marcelo Bielsa's. Are there similarities in the style with which the two managers like to see their sides play? High energy, pressing, um, aggressive, attacking. Yes, there are similarities. But I think Jesse Marsh will need to stamp his own authority on this side. And that means bringing in players. And I just think with Leeds United having been sort of down in the depths of the championship and, and League One even at one point for, for the last sort of 16, 17 years prior to their arrival back in the Premier League. I don't think financially they'll be in a position to go big this summer. I think anything that they do is going to need to be funded by player sales. And there are a lot of Leeds players that are being linked with a move away. Rafinha is not the only one. The likes of Calvin Phillips, the likes of Patrick Bamford uh, have been talked about as potential exits. Uh, during this upcoming transfer window. So I feel like Leeds probably will be in a position where they do need to sell in order to move to the next phase, in order to move to their next project under Jesse March and give him the tools he needs to do that. Um, and so that's why I think that if you do go and you slap an offer of around about £40 million on the table, you might not get it over the line for that, but you will at the very least be in a position where you've put the player on high alert and the player will be pushing for it from his side. But you're also making the club have to seriously think about what they do. If you've got an unhappy player, um, you know, who who doesn't really want to be there, an unhappy player who feels like his career would be better off elsewhere, you can often use that to your advantage and use that in order to get a better deal. Um, we've seen it happen so many times, you know, bigger clubs going in and unsettling people and, sort of stirring the pot and and ultimately giving the um you know giving the player the opportunity or, or giving the player the excuse to really throw his toys out of the plan pram and try uh, to force the move through himself. So I think Rafinha would be interesting. But as I say, not only does he bring goals, not only does he bring assists, not only is he a very good dribbler, not only would he be, in my opinion, an upgrade on Nicolas Pepe, but he also gives you the work rate and the level of intensity that Mikel Arteta so clearly needs and wants. He gives you, um, you know, that ability to, to press really aggressively from the front in the way that I don't think Nicolas Pepe does. I think Pepe's got lots of positives. I think he's got lots of attributes that I look at and say, I like that about you. But is he as hardworking as we need him to be sometimes? Is he as aggressive in the press as we need him to be sometimes? I don't think he is. I've got to be honest. And I think we've seen that. Um, quite recently as well. I think we saw it when he came on against Aston Villa. Uh, you know, he was tracking back, but was he tenacious enough in certain defensive areas? Was he giving Cedric enough protection at certain moments in that game? I thought he was a bit of a liability from a defensive standpoint. I don't think that would be the case with Rafinha, who isn't afraid to make a tackle, isn't afraid to get involved. And the fact we're talking about a, a right winger 
who's picked up six yellow cards in the Premier League this season. I think that kind of backs that point up, right? Rafinha is someone who will put himself about and will get involved and will press and will be aggressive. 25 years old as well. Um, you know, so he's in a he's in a sort of he's in a good age bracket in the sense of he's not um too young, too raw, but he's also got plenty of sort of time ahead of him. So it feels like it would be a good investment. And Nicolas Pepe, who is 26 years old, uh, has been speaking recently, hasn't he, about the, the fact that his future may not necessarily be at Emirates Stadium moving forward. If you could bring in 25 million for Nicolas Pepe, even 20 million, that subsidizes quite a huge chunk or, or quite a sufficient chunk of what you then have to pay to get uh, Rafinha in. And so to, to essentially let Pepe go bring Rafinha in, you'll have to top up the money. Um, but whatever you can get from Pepe can be offset against that. I think that would be quite a good business move. And it's one I would back and support. So I would be quite happy um, to see what we can do there. And as Melly uh, so very points out, with five subs coming, and we'll talk about this in a minute as well, because that broke yesterday, which I haven't spoken about just yet. Uh, the depth in the wide positions is quite important. If we're going to lose Nicolas Pepe, which we might, then we do need another uh, another wide player to come in. We'd have two on the left, Martinelli, Emil Smith-Rowe, and we'd have two on the right in Saka and Rafinha or Pepe, depending on how that all goes. So uh, let's see. Um, just on that, before we uh, move on, uh, Kenny says, Harry, there's no difference between Pepe and Rafinha. Can we be honest about it? Pepe is not a system player, so nor is Rafinha, I guess, is what he's trying to say here. No, I think there is a difference. I think that Rafinha is playing with a lot more confidence. Um, and I think Rafinha gives you the work rate that Nicolas Pepe doesn't. Look, nobody's going to come in and displace Bukayo Saka because he's one of Arsenal's most important players, and rightly so. But I just think that Rafinha off the ball is a lot more effective and does a lot more of the things that would tick Mikel Arteta's boxes than Nicolas Pepe does. That's why he doesn't play. That's why he doesn't get the game time. Bukayo Saka has been dead on his feet for weeks. We've looked at him so many times and felt you've been brilliant for the first sort of hour and then your batteries have run out, not through any fault of his own, just because we're overplaying him and overworking him. But you never look at Nicolas Pepe and feel like he's going to come on and give you the same stability defensively and the same work rate. He is incredibly impactful in the final third, Nicolas Pepe. I've always said that and I've always defended him in that sense. But when it comes to defensively and when it comes to work rate, I don't think he's he's there. And I don't think him and Mikel are quite on the same page. That's been clear throughout Mikel's tenure. So I think if Arsenal could recuperate some money for Nicolas Pepe and then, then they were looking to then go and reinvest it, I think um, I think that, that Rafinha would be a good option there. Uh, Matt's asked for a poll uh, in the chat. Let me just quickly pop this in. Would you like to see... Arsenal sign Rafinha from Leeds this summer. There you go. The poll is in the chat box uh, and I'll come back to that a little bit later on in the show and we can uh, see what you guys are saying. Um, okay, so that's the story. According to Fabrizio Romano, Arsenal are, and I quote, preparing something for Rafinha, which suggests that Arsenal are considering him as an option. Now, as I've said to you guys a million and one times, during the, tra uh, during the international break. Take a lot of these stories with a pinch of salt because a lot of them will be um, sort of based on coincidence, as I've said, rather than substance. Uh, so please do um, sort of bear that in mind. But I thought it was an interesting one to discuss. Let's quickly touch on the whole uh, five subs thing, why it's fresh in my mind before I forget it because I have a tendency to forget things mid-podcast. Um Let's talk about that because it was announced yesterday that the Premier League will change to uh, allowing players, uh, allowing teams, I beg your pardon, to have five substitutes each. It's something that we've seen in Europe since the whole COVID issue. It's something that we've seen in the European competitions, but it's something that was voted against uh, by the Premier League clubs uh, last season. Let me let me start off by saying I don't really understand what's changed. I don't really understand why the clubs who I'm assuming would be the clubs towards the bottom end of the table who were against this change have now changed their minds. I don't get that. I don't get what the Premier League and what the other clubs have have done to convince them 
that this is the way forward. I don't get what they've done to uh, sort of change their minds. It it feels weird to me because this is the way I look at it. Okay, so I understand the issues with player welfare. I do, and I get frustrated when, as much as I love there being loads and loads of football, I hate it when Arsenal go into periods of let's say nine days where they've got three games because that means that if you want to play with the level of intensity that is required to be successful in the modern game, you can't do that three times in the space of nine days. It's not physically possible for you to be at your absolute maximum, particularly when you get towards the back end of the season and, you know, the, you've done some hard miles and you've, you know, you've been through injuries and you're not maybe a hundred percent fit and you're just trying to kind of push through it between now and the end of the campaign. And you, you know, it just feels to me like we're asking too much of the players. But what I would say is this, the first port of call in terms of dealing with the fixture schedule in England should be, in my opinion, to change the Carabao Cup, make it the football league's competition. Okay. We call it the league cup. It always ends up being won by a Manchester City or a Liverpool. Um, or not, yeah, Liverpool won it this year. They haven't really won it. Uh, well, they haven't won it before under Jurgen Klopp. But it always ends up getting won by a City or a Chelsea, let's say, in recent years. And why is that? Well, because both of those sides have the depth to be able to make wholesale changes, but still name very strong sides. They'll get good draws along the way when they do come up against fellow Premier League sides. Even in the case of ourselves, those clubs will make changes and their greater strength in depth often sees them get over the line. What would I do with the Carabao Cup? I would change it so that only the Championship, League One, League Two sides um, are in it. I would take the Premier League sides out of it. Or I would take the sides that are participating in European competition out of it. Now, I know that you're in a position now where you see that the clubs in Europe, they do come into it around later. But that for me is not good enough. So I want to see either one of two things. Either you scrap the Premier League clubs from entering the competition, which they don't want to do because of the commercial impact of that. If you've got a cup competition that doesn't feature the big boys, then commercially it's not worth half as much. The TV rights deals get slashed. So I understand that. The other thing is you take the European sides out of it completely. And I understand, again, you take the big names out of the competition who are more often than not the sides who um, who do sort of get to the latter stages of this and who are the ones that attract the big money. You then have the same problem, right? Is the, the competition as in demand? Is it something that is uh, as uh, as attractive? I get all of that. From a commercial standpoint, it's something that they will never do. But I just think when you look around Europe, there are only a handful of countries who have two domestic cup competitions, and we're one of them. We cannot be moaning and whinging and banging on about the, the fixture pileup and then having this cup competition unfold that, let's be honest, very few people care about. You, know, you even see lower league sides who you'd expect would thrive at the opportunity and look and be excited by the fact that they get to play against some of these big boys making changes because for them it's not the bread and butter it's not important it's not the be on end all cup run is great but if you know you're going to get gazumped by a liverpool or a manchester city later on down the line as a championship club you're going to turn your attention and your focus to promotion or whatever it is that your goal is staying in a division so i just think that it's a it's a bit of a nuisance and it gets in the way i get that we want to see as many showpiece finals i get that we want to see interesting semi-finals and interesting finals like the one we're going to have um you know but i just or sorry like the one we did have but i just i, I just i don't get it I, I don't get it the five sub thing is designed supposedly to deal with those issues it's designed supposedly to give managers the opportunity to make more changes and to manage the workloads of their players well that's great if you're man city that's great if you're chelsea it's great if you're liverpool because if you're man city you can take off Raheem Sterling and you can bring on Jack Grealish. If you're uh, Chelsea, you can take off Romelu Lukaku and bring on Kai Havertz. If you're uh, Liverpool, you can take off uh, Sadio Mane and bring on Luis Diaz. There are options available to you um, that simply aren't available 
to the likes of Sean Dyche or to the likes of Patrick Vieira at Crystal Palace. So the fact that you could only make three changes, it kind of mitigated how much the depth of your squad could be at an adv- as an advantage when playing against opponents of of less quality. And that meant that the managers had to get it right. You got three opportunities to bring somebody on and change the game. Those clubs with the better substitutes benches and with the greater strength in depth, they were already, um, you know, they were already at an advantage, but they're at even more of an advantage now because they can do it five times. Now, I know the idea is that they can only do it within three periods, right? So you'll have to make double substitutions so that the game doesn't get interrupted. But I just think it does disrupt the game in a slightly different way. It disrupts the game in the sense of you could potentially see 10 different players on the pitch by the time the game ends. If both sides use all five substitutes, 10 of the 22 players that went out on the pitch to start that game are not there anymore and have been replaced. And and I don't like that. Mikel Arteta was quite positive about it. He spoke about how it was good in that it manages the workloads. It was good from a tactical perspective. Yeah, that's easy for you to say, managing a club like Arsenal, who you'd expect are going to have the advantage in that sense over a lot of the other clubs in the league. And listen, I back Mikel Arteta in a lot of ways and I support a lot of his ideas and views, but on this, I think he's wrong. I really do. Um, It is my understanding that Arsenal were one of the clubs that campaigned for this from the beginning. Um, But me personally, it's not something I wanted to see past and I'm a little bit disappointed it has been. I guess when you look at the fact that, uh, you know, it's been happening in Europe, it's been happening in the European competitions, it was inevitable that the Premier League were going to follow suit. But I hoped that common sense would prevail. Um, I'm also sick of hearing managers, certain managers, not just um, other managers, but as our own as well at some point, moaning about the, the overload and moaning about the squad and moaning about how they're being overworked in how, you know, we're having to rotate and then only using the same 12, 13 players. It's a bit like, well, you do have more than 12 or 13 players. You're opting to use these guys. It's not something that is necessarily being forced upon you. So it has irritated me that that sort of moan keeps coming up. I think actually the best thing they could have done was to manage the fixture schedule a little bit better, perhaps um, limit the Carabao or League Cup, whatever you want to call it, to just the lower league sides, or maybe take those in European competition out of it. But again, it's all about money. It's all about commerciality. That's what makes the world go round. And that's why that will probably never happen. Anyway, that's my rant on that. Let's uh, move on to another story. Let's touch on Yuri Tielemans because the Leicester midfielder is being linked with a move to Arsenal again. His future at Leicester is unclear and it's been reported by a number of outlets that Arsenal are once again courting the Belgian, a player that we've been linked with again in the past. Now, I think what's really, really interesting uh, with Yuri Tielemans is obviously his contract situation um, at Leicester City. Brendan Rodgers keeps talking about how committed he is for the time being and about, um, you know, how how much of a good player he is. And he really is. You know, we're talking about a guy at 24 years old. He's got 49 caps for Belgium. Uh, he is just 24 years old, but his current contract at the Foxes expires in June 2023. Um, made 22 appearances in the Premier League this season. Not always been as fit as we'd have liked it or as Leicester would have liked him to have been. But he's managed six goals in the league, which is way more than any of our central midfielders have managed. Um, you know, he's he's a player that can score goals. He, he knows where the back of the net is. Um, but also, again, a bit like Rafinha, gives you that work rate, gives you that intensity. And when we talk about Arsenal's new shape and we talk about the fact that um, we're looking for a player who can play slightly to the left of Thomas Partey and be a bit more box-to-box, be... Uh, more useful in the final third than Granit Xhaka is, but also have the energy to get up and down the pitch and plug in holes. I think that Yuri Tielemans is a good fit. I'd, I'd really back this. The reason I wasn't sort of talking about this a lot last summer was because I felt like when everybody else was talking about Yuri Tielemans, it just wasn't achievable. I just felt like Leicester were going to set the bar stupidly high in terms of their price, just like they did with James Madison and that we were going to have to really, really overpay to get this player in the door. But with his contract running down another year and with that due to expire at the end of the next season, you feel like if he doesn't sign a deal, which he hasn't, and I thought he might have done by now, 
Leicester City will be forced to sell him um, in a in an, an, a deal, I guess, for a price that makes a lot more sense to Arsenal Football Club. Some of the reports are saying 25, 30 million pounds. If that's the case, it's a no-brainer, do it. But I'd also keep hold of Granit Xhaka because I think that he is much more accomplished from a defensive standpoint in the sense of if one of if we're playing against a stronger opponent and we do need to drop one of that midfield trio just a little bit deeper to sit alongside Thomas Partey and create that double solid defensive pivot that we've seen they can do, I think Xhaka might be a little bit more suited to that. But Tielemans... Um, certainly fits that role because he's a bit more of a hybrid, isn't he, between a Martin Odegaard, but also um, a Granit Xhaka who feels more comfortable in those deeper areas. Uh, I'm not saying Tielemans is defensive, but he's got that work rate and that energy to get up and down. I think he'd be suited to that role quite well. Um, so, yeah, that's um, that's uh, my take on that. Yuri Tielemans, I think if he was attainable for a, a decent amount of money, would be a very, very good option for Mikel Arteta and Arsenal moving forward. Okay, uh, let's have a quick look at some of the things that Mikel Arteta said in his press conference going into the Crystal Palace game. A few interesting comments that I just want to touch upon. But before I do that, I uh, just want to quickly remind you guys that if you haven't done so already, please do hit the like button and subscribe to the channel if you are new. Join the 48 people who've already hit the like button and let's get that up to 100 because there's more than enough of you watching for us to achieve that. So I'd love to get there uh, before the video is out. Please do, as I say, like, subscribe. You know the drill by now. Uh, give our poll a vote as well. We'll check in uh, what that's uh, looking like just after this very, very short pause. Hello and welcome back to the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast, part of the 90 Min Football Network. OK, uh, let's have a look at that poll. What are you guys saying? Would you like to see Arsenal sign Rafinha from Leeds this summer? 71% of you at the moment say yes. 29% of you say no. I'm interested if your answer is no. Why? Um, not that I'm saying that your opinion is wrong. You're absolutely entitled to it. But I'm just curious to know the reasons as to why you don't think he'd be a good signing, please do let me know. Get some questions in there as well, because we're just going to briefly run through Arteta's press conference, and then uh, we're going to take uh, some of those as well. Uh, let's um, let's just quickly pick up on some of these points then. Mikel Arteta obviously uh, celebrated his birthday as well, uh, so a happy belated birthday uh, to the uh, main man himself. Uh, he was asked about the friendly with Brentford, Arsenal played a close uh, behind closed doors friendly against Brentford just a couple of days ago, uh, in which they won by three goals to one. Uh, so fair play to Arsenal, and and it was a game that we didn't know was going ahead. But Mikel Arteta said the fact that we could get minutes and expose some of the players uh, who haven't had the possibility to do that in recent weeks, it was good for us. Um, he said that playing between us is not the same, and we had the opportunity to do that, which is good. Uh, he was uh, asked about the Palace game earlier on this season. Remember, uh, we scored right at the death, didn't we? So he talked about how uh, difficult that match was. Um, we scored really late to equalise that night. Uh, he talked about the fact that we struggled in some periods, that we conceded some really poor goals. Um, and uh, and that, you know, going to their stadium is not going to be... Um, is not going to be easy at all. Uh, he was asked about what his message is going into the season running. Of course, his players have been on uh, international duty, uh, which has made it difficult for him to work over the last few days. But he said, I'll have them all today. My job is to try and refocus them. Obviously, when they're on international duty all the time, they're being asked to do different things, different roles, and there are different kinds of pressures. For some of them, it was their first international. So emotionally, for them, it's very draining as well. But I need to make sure everyone is fine and look forward to the challenge that we have ahead. He was asked about the fitness of Bukayo Saka and Aaron Ramsdale. He said that Bukayo is feeling good. He's training today, hopefully, if he is still feeling as he was yesterday. Um, but he did say that Aaron Ramsdale is a doubt. He's still not feeling great, hasn't trained yet, so we don't know what he will be able to do on Monday. He also mentioned, which was interesting, that Aaron Ramsdale wanted to play against Aston Villa, but it was a significant injury and he had to take his time. He said the physios are doing everything they can to make him available, but we'll see in the next few days when he starts to do more real training. Interesting, because I thought that Ramsdale was going to be out for quite a bit longer than what they're sort of suggesting. Um, 
So, yeah, interesting uh, on that one. Uh, okay, uh, he was asked about Tomiyasu. He says he thinks it will be close with regards to him being available for Monday. He said he's been training more and more. He has the boys back now. Um, so he'll be joining some sessions this week and let's see how it goes. He was asked why it's taken so long because this is one of the concerns I've had. Like I've, I've looked at this problem with, Ruf, uh, almost said Rafinha because he's on my mind from the poll. Um, but I've, I've constantly sort of, um, sort of been mulling over this in uh, the last few days because, uh, sorry, the last few weeks, because we keep hearing um, that he is so close to coming back. And then we get to the match day and he's not even in the squad. And so there was a kind of uh, a cynical side of me that was thinking, well, is this worse than they're letting on? So it was interesting to hear him uh, sort of explain why uh, Takahiro Tomiyasu has been out for as long as he's been out. He said uh, because he's had a recurring injury in the other calf, which was a strange and difficult one to predict. He said he's been through a lot in the last two years with COVID and the amount of games that he's played. The transition to a different league with different intensity. It's been completely different for him. He said, um, hopefully we found the right reasons for it and hopefully we won't go through that situation again because especially for him, it's been tough. Uh, he was asked about this whole thing again about not um, not conceding a goal from a corner. Also, I don't want to talk about this. I don't want to jinx it. So we're going to skip past that. Uh, he was asked about um, the celebration of victories because Arsenal have obviously had some um, some criticism for the way they celebrated the victory over Aston Villa, which in my opinion was bloody ridiculous. Uh, but he said, I don't tell the players to celebrate or not. I think that's something that comes uh, right from them. And it's great when I see them hugging each other, enjoying each other and celebrating with the fans who made a long trip to be with us for a 12.30pm kickoff. Showing the gratitude for the fans and to be supportive, for to me, is great. Um, he was asked about the new contract talk we brought to you uh, a little while ago that Arsenal, uh, or we discussed that Arsenal are in the process of discussing a new contract with Bukayo Saka. Uh, and Mikel Arteta was asked about this in the press conference, to which he responded, we're extremely happy with Bukayo, the progression he's having, what he's bringing to the club, what he's bringing to the team. Obviously, we're never going to share any conversations related to private contracts, but we're really happy with him. Uh, so that was good to see. Uh, he was asked about playing uh, last this weekend. Um, and again, he, he sort of brushed that off. He said, you know, it's not something that we control. Uh, it's not something that's in our hands. Uh, all that is in our hands is basically going out there and uh, improving um, ourselves and, and doing what we need to do to get over the line and hopefully achieve our objectives. Um, he was asked when he'd like to be playing Tottenham uh, later in the season. He says, "We don't. We, I don't think we're going to have a choice. So whenever the Premier League decides, it will be the right and only time that we're going to be playing. He, he didn't want to be drawn on that. He made his feelings clear on the whole fixture thing uh, not too long ago, uh, did Mikel Arteta. Um, so, yeah, he, he's not going to be drawn in that. Um, he's not going to be drawn on that uh, at all. Uh, I, I beg your pardon as well. I did say 3-1. I don't know why I had 3-1 in my mind for the Brentford game. I know it was 4-1. Lacazette Hattrick and um, Rob Holding as well. Um, I'm not really going to go um, onto the rest of it because I think a lot of it is uh, sort of hot air. Um, you know, uh, you can watch the press conference in full if you want to. It is available um, on YouTube, you you can find it. So I'm not going to read you verbatim every single thing that Mikel Arteta said, but I thought those were the important bits uh, from that. Okay, let's go over and take a few of your questions uh, before we wrap up. Um, let's see what some of you guys are saying. Uh, Matt G says, Harry, do you think the long-term plan for Emil Smith-Rowe is to be left midfield? I do. I think that... <laughs> I think that for me, this is a consequence of the change in system and the change in formation or the tweak. I don't want to call it a change because it's a tweak rather than a sort of major upheaval. I think that if you play with a double defensive midfield pivot like a Xhaka and Partey as a unit, then you can play with a Smith Rowe in the 10. If you don't know, if you play with a Partey, then I think... Uh, so 
let me rephrase that. If you play with a, a Partey sort of one-man sort of midfield anchor, then you need the right balance of players around him to accommodate that. So you need a Xhaka or somebody who's going to be a bit more conservative and then you need some, you know, a bit more conservative when they need to be, but will also get forward and join in. But then you need a Martin Odegaard. And I just think that for Mikel Arteta, Martin Odegaard is key to the way this team plays. He's the guy that makes us tick. He sets the tempo, he sets the pace, he sets the energy. He presses in a way like I don't really feel Emil Smith-Rowe can. And that's not a criticism of, of Emil Smith-Rowe, just Martin Odegaard is so incredibly good at doing that. Um, and I think that with Odegaard in the team, he couldn't play Smith-Rowe in the midfield with Partey as well. It just wouldn't work. The balance is not right. So it's one of Emil Smith-Rowe and Martin Odegaard in that three. And I think that he prefers Martin Odegaard. And I understand that. I actually think Emil Smith-Rowe can be, is probably more effective when he plays from the left. So I think that's the long-term plan, yeah. I think it'll be he and Martinelli battling for that position. It'll be Saka and perhaps a new signing, perhaps Nicolas Pepe on the right. Uh, and then the midfield is, as I say, without Emil Smith-Rowe. That's my view on it, but I think it's it's quite clear uh, that's where we're at. Uh, O'Melly says, do you think upgrading Cedric is important being seen links to Jed Spence and Ben Johnson from West Ham? I've seen those links with Ben Johnson. Not really sure how much um, sort of attention I want to pay to those at this stage, but um, decent player, like the look of him. I know that West Ham are quite fearful of losing him um, and I think he'd be a good addition. Jed Spence, I'm still on the fence about. I think physically he's brilliant, but I'm not sure that he's the finished article. And I was actually speaking last night to a, a colleague of mine, he's a Nottingham Forest fan, who was saying that, you know, sometimes with Jed Spence, if you look at his highlights, you, you see this sort of strong, powerful, physical player who's really difficult to deal with. But when you watch him in full, there are a lot of still sort of raw areas in his game as well. So he's not quite as accomplished as I don't as I think we think based on what we saw of him in the FA Cup um I think upgrading Cedric is important yeah but not it's not the priority if that makes sense it's one of if I was sort of listing the priorities of what I need or want this summer I think it'd probably be third on the list I think it's something that we should do but not to the to the detriment of bringing in a striker um or bringing in another midfielder, in my opinion. So I think there are areas that we need to address before that, but it is something that would be on my radar. Um, let's see what else we've got. Um, John Daly's got a couple of questions. I'll pick up both of these because they're good ones. Uh, he says, Man City have Laporte, Diaz, Stones and Ake. Do you think Arteta has learned from Pep how to keep defenders happy with Saliba coming back and waiting for his chance to play. Well, I think once you establish a system and a way of playing, and once you establish what characteristics it is you require from your central defenders, if you can bring in multiple players who are capable of slotting in, who understand the system, who get it, then you can make those changes in those rotations. And I think that's what Mikel Arteta is, is slowly building at Arsenal. When you build a clear system a clear shape and you and you sell it to everybody and everybody buys into it then it becomes easier to rotate without it having a big impact on the way you play uh, so I think that's probably the direction we're heading in as well and look with with Saliba though I've got to be honest I'm not even sure that he is coming back um, I discussed this the other day and lots of people in the comments got on to me and were like why are you talking about Saliba why are you talking about letting him go why why are you even discussing that possibility well it is a very a strong possibility. It is a very real possibility. And I think some of the noises we've heard over the last few days have only reinforced the point I was making a week ago, uh, that he could well end up leaving. Um, John also says, Palace have a few key players out. Do you think they'll put all their eggs in the FA Cup basket? Well, I don't want to go as far as saying that their their minds are gone or that they'll be on holiday when it comes to the Premier League, because I think that's unfair. And I don't think that really... Um, does Patrick Vieira justice in terms of the competitor he is. So I don't think he'll be allowing that to kind of seep in. I think he'll be doing his utmost to uh, to make sure that the focus remains. But what I would say is it must be difficult if you're Crystal Palace, and particularly when you're talking about a group of young uh, developing talents, to not be a little bit distracted by the prospect of, of playing in that FA Cup um, semi-final against Chelsea. So I think that they will be sort of 
I, I think that they will be focused on Monday under the lights at home, but I do think there will be part of them that is sort of already gearing up for that FA Cup semi-final. I just hope that that works to our advantage. What else have we got? Uh, Anonymous says, uh, "Do you, what do you think about the leaked new kits for next season? I re- The black one is superb. I love that. I really do. I'll definitely be buying that. I like kits that are smart, like that you can wear them and not look like a kit wanker at 30 odd years old walking down the street when you're not going to a game. So I'm I'm a big um I'm a big fan of uh, of that type of kit. I like that one. The pink one's not too bad too, uh but the black one for me was certainly the one that caught my eye. Uh Justin says, "Do you think the rumors are true about Real Madrid planning to make an offer for Tierney?" Mm, they might try, but I don't think they're going to get anywhere. I don't think Tierney's going anywhere to be honest. Um, Real Madrid get linked with everyone just because Real Madrid um, have a tendency, don't they, to want to um, to want to bring in the best players in the world. They always have done. For me, for as long as I can remember, the the barometer of how much you were rated across Europe was whether you were re- linked with Real Madrid or not. And Kieran Tierney is in that position now. Um, Igara says, uh, Tielemans, Ruiz, Abisuma, Douglas, Luiz, Owa, would you have two of those players harry this summer i would take i think i would take douglas louise and tielemans out of that because tielemans fits into that left role that we were talking about that left side of midfield slightly left um and also douglas louise would be a good replacement for thomas Partey in the event that he was unavailable so i i'm as i say i'm all about having a system and then bringing in players that fit those roles and adding your depth that way um, which is why I picked those guys. A few questions in there that I've already touched on, so I'm not going to... Um, it's not that I don't want to read them. It's just we've already discussed them uh, earlier on in the show, so I don't want to sort of be repeating myself. Uh, Adam Daniel says, that, don't you want Saliba to come back? He looks good. Yeah, I, I, I do want him to come back. I, I do want to see what he would fare like in an Arsenal shirt because we haven't seen that. And more than anything, it's born from curiosity. But... If I was Mikel Arteta and I still didn't think that he was the right man, then I wouldn't hesitate in selling him if we could get the right amount of money for him. Look, whatever way you look at it, okay, whatever way you look at it, Arsenal overpaid for William Saliba at the time we did. Okay, he might go on to be a brilliant centre-half and maybe in the future, with the benefit of hindsight, we'll look back and say 27 million was an absolute steal for this kid. But we've paid £27 million for a player who's not played a competitive game in an Arsenal shirt. And we're, what, two and a half years in, three years in? So that, for me, means it was a mistake in terms of what we paid. Now, can that mistake be rectified if he goes on, develops and gets to a certain level and represents Arsenal um, and gives a really good account of himself? Yeah, of course. But right now, when you look at the, the, the evidence that is in front of us, £27 million, on a player who hasn't played a single competitive game for Arsenal, you have to say that we were wrong to spend that money at this moment in time. As I say, it could change in the future, but it hasn't changed yet. The the doubt I have and the worry I have with William Saliba, and, and I did explain this in detail the other day, but I'll just kind of reiterate it for those who maybe missed it, is that given all that happened, given the way it was handled, given his supposed rocky relationship with Mikel Arteta, Will it ever be right between the two of them? Will William Saliba ever feel loved at Arsenal unless he's playing week in, week out? Maybe not. But I don't think he's better than Ben White and I don't think he's better than Gabriel. So for me, if William Saliba comes back to the club this summer, it says the third choice centre-back, is he okay with that? Is he going to be quite happy to come back and play that role? If not, if he's got any doubts, and based on his recent comments, it seems that he does have doubts. If you can get the right money in for him, and I'm not saying it's what I do, because I, as I said to you, I'm curious and I want him to come back and I want to have a look at him. But given his contract situation as well, if somebody came along and said, here's 30 million, and armed Mikel Arteta with what he needs to be able to go out and bring in a centre-half who does fit a little bit better, who is happy to play the role that he's going to play at Arsenal and, and displays all the right values and the right attitude because that has been the key cog in Mikel Arteta developing this side. 
then I would do it. So it all depends what's on the table. You know, if if William Saliba, if if somebody's offering five million pounds for William Saliba, ten million pounds for William Saliba, or there isn't anything significant on the table at all, I would bring him back and have another look at him. But if that money is there and that money helps us to move in the right direction at a time when Arsenal's financial results are not very good, let's be honest, I think I would consider it. And that's not because I don't think he's a good player, but I still think he's a bit raw. I still think he makes mistakes. I think he's made those mistakes in a league that is much more um, comfortable. The Premier League is not as forgiving as the French League, and there's no doubt about that. So when I look at the way he's played, I think in large periods of time he's been quite good, but he does switch off. He does have lapses. And I can't say with any degree of confidence that he's at a higher level right now than Ben White or Gabriel. So he doesn't start for me. Will William Saliba be happy or okay with not starting? Will he be happy with, if we do get back into Europe, being someone that if we're in the Europa League, for example, where we can rotate a little bit, would he be happy to step into that role? Now, people keep bringing up Rob Holding all the time. Every time we have this Saliba discussion, the first thing people say is, yeah, but he's better than Rob Holding. Yeah, but Rob Holding is happy to play that role. Rob Holding has no issue with being the third choice centre-back and being the guy we call on in certain game states and in certain instances. William Saliba, if he was to come and play that role, would he be happy? That depends on him. And that's why I say that this is it's not clear-cut whether he's coming back or not. And we're just going to have to wait and see what happens. Okay, I think uh, we have come to the end of the show. As I say, I'll be back later on today. Uh, bringing you guys some reaction to the World Cup draw. Feels like the World Cup is just around the corner now. Um, I, I do love the World Cup. It's 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 brilliant. It's amazing. And I love the whole sort of build up to it. I love the draw and then sort of breaking down the groups and discussing it all. I'm trying not to let all of the kind of issues around the Qatar World Cup kind of spoil it from a football perspective. Although I, I recognise that there are problems and there are issues and there are uh you know reasons that we should be discussing those and 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 it's important that they're brought to light but let's um let's just focus it, you know it's happening in qatar now that's not going to change so let's just focus on um on the football and that's what we'll be talking about later on the football make sure you come and join me for that don't forget if you haven't done so already please do hit that like button we're still around about 25 away from getting to the 100 mark i'd love to get there by the time the outro plays uh, so if you haven't done so already, please do and subscribe to the channel if you're new as we continue on our journey towards 20,000 subs. I'll catch you all a little bit later on today with more. Until next time, take care of yourselves. Don't forget to join me for tomorrow's preview. Crystal Palace versus Arsenal, 11 a.m. on Saturday, live right here on the channel. Goodbye. I'm Martin Tyler, and you're listening to Harry Simeon.